This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Upstanders podcast. I am Dr. Omekongo Dabinga, your host. And today I have two incredible guests who are going to talk to us about an incredible new project called the Stereotype Project. I was very uh, interested and fascinated when I found out about this. And so I really wanted to get them to just talk to our audience about what it is. I have Gianfranco and Liz Kim here, who are the founders of the Stereotype Project. And I have a lot of questions, a lot of things I want to get to. But for everybody who may be hearing about this for the first time, just tell us from jump, what is the Stereotype Project? Gia, do you want to take this one? Sure, sure. So the Stereotype Project at its core um, is a technology platform. We are actively trying to build the world's largest database of stereotypes across cultures, countries, and geographies, right? And um, at its core, we're trying to deconstruct the way that we learn about peoples and cultures mm -hmm. and using the media to highlight gaps in sort of representation in the media where it might be biased or it may be inaccurate. Um, and so our platform is at the core of that initiative to have various tools um, and resources available to advocates and also individuals alike. Now, that sounds awesome, right? One of the things I'm thinking of off the top, Liz, is what about people who say, well, if I just want to stereotype, know about a stereotype of people nowadays, I can just go to YouTube or Google or Wikipedia and just find out what people are saying. Why is the database necessary? We think the database is absolutely necessary because a lot of times we cannot distill if the information that we're learning about on the internet is actually accurate. Mm. And we are going to ensure that the, every single data point that's going to be aggregated within the database, it's been vetted by the academic institutions. So we're not the research, um, we're not advocates, we're not research group. We're actually building infrastructure and the technology around gathering this information. So it would be information that's been researched and uh, academic you know, researchers and people who are way smarter than us being able to gather this information and be able to also talk about the history of this stereotype and understanding where did it start from? Who started it? What was the intent? What was the impact of the stereotype in our industry, in every single industry that we could think of is what would make it different. Now, but before I go into like how y'all really decided to put all of this together, I need to follow up on what you just said and how you started, because you started with, because there's a lot of misinformation out there as it relates to stereotypes. Can you talk about that? Because so many people talk about how we're living in the misinformation age. I'm fond of saying people like to go online looking for information as opposed, uh, looking for affirmation as opposed yes. to information. So it seems like there's a certain level when you talk about academic researchers and stuff, talk about what you're seeing as it relates to just the ignorance and lack of knowledge that we're living in in this world today that, that led to the need for this. Um, Gia, do you want to take this one? Do you want me to? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, there's, there's misinformation in general. And I mm. think with the echo chambers that exist and that have been created and perpetuated 
with social media through the last couple of election cycles, um, having credible information sources across the board is critically important. Mm -hmm. And I think with something like stereotypes um, and how powerful they are and beneficial they are to people who are using them for their benefit, mm -hmm. um, it's really important for us to have information that can counter that. You realize that, well, at least I have in talking to people who are often bad actors, but they definitely have a point to prove. They have all of their talking points, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're readily available, they're primed, they know what you may come back with. And a lot of people who are just going through their daily lives aren't necessarily walking around armed with this information because they're not really having a point to prove. They're just trying to make it through the day. And so giving individuals, giving organizations who will have to be countering that sort of rhetoric coming from various sides for nefarious purposes, um, the resources and the tools to be able to counter those points with facts, mm -hmm. um, with history, with context, I think is an important part of the process in moving us forward. Because yeah, yeah. there is so much that we're going to want to do as individuals to advance sort of perspective and, and how we're seen in the world and we're not reduced to gross generalizations, but we also have to acknowledge that there are going to be people who want to stop that and we have to be prepared for that. So things like this stereotype project database um, and a number of tools that are going to come out of the database are specifically designed for that purpose mm -hmm. and to cut through the noise because we yeah. definitely have a truth and fact issue in the world. No, most definitely. And Liz, what are some of your thoughts as it relates to this misinformation that's out there as well? I mean, I think, you know, we are constantly bombarded with information and it's hard to tell, right, what's mm -hmm. real and what's not. And mm -hmm. I can't even tell you how many times I personally been in conversation where people tell me, did you hear X, Y, and Z? And I have, no, and I don't want to be rude and pulling up my phone and being like, let me, let me fact check this right now. Mm -hmm. And then I come home and I look it up and immediately within seconds, I'm like, okay, what they told me isn't true. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And they may have biases that they may not even realize that is leaning towards a certain type of information to begin with. Mm -hmm. And we're saying, let's fundamentally change the way we communicate, first of all, and let, let's also be more informed about the different types of people that we may not be exposed to, because mm -hmm. nobody has an encyclopedic ways to offend every person that's out there. And if that's the case, let's create tools that would enable people to be more informed with actual factual data. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I really find doing this work in, in DEI, and, and I want to take this back to, to you, Jan, mm -hmm. is that, you know, there are a lot of people out there who say they do this work in diversity, they call themselves experts and, and all of that, maybe because they studied a couple of things and read some books and the like. But I'm always interested in the personal stories, the reason why people decide to write a book, to start a project, to start a database, to maybe go out and, and do some speaking on these particular issues. I want to get to the core. So for, for our listeners, what, what led to the stereotype project in your life, in your world that you were seeing that, that, that sparked this whole thing? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it was frustration, mainly. Mm -hmm. It was leading up to the 2016 election. Uh, I was in Philadelphia. I was consulting at the time. And, you know, politics aside, I was just watching the country almost fracture uh, in a way that I hadn't seen before. I'm not actually from America. I'm from the Caribbean, but I've been a citizen 
pretty recently and I've been a resident for almost 20 years. And in all of that time, I had never seen the lack of sort of communication, um, at least on a political platform, as I had seen in that moment. And so anytime I find myself in a situation that I personally don't like, I stop and I ask myself, how did you get here? What was your contribution to this situation? What could you have done differently? And I kind of turned that question to the country, right? And I was sort of like, how did we get here as a country? And that sent me on this really interesting journey of research and Googling and reading academic papers um, to really try and understand the crux of the problem and, and the issues that we were facing as a country and how we got to that moment. And one of the things that really jumped out to me was the prevalence of uh, propaganda in mass media and how propaganda shapes the narratives um, and crafts the perspectives of various groups of people in society, often by people in socioeconomic or political power. Mm -hmm. And what was really frightening about it was how deliberate um, the activities were. Right. So, and you look at that through the history of media, mass media from you know, yellow journalism, beginning of the printed press to to today with social media and how that information is sort of disseminated. And I I was like, you know what, this is just reading it was depressing, right? As a black person in America, it was exhausting. But my thesis was exactly what got us to this point was exactly what was going to get us out of it, which isn't often the case. But I felt like in this case, it was a possible path forward. And by that, I meant another couple hundred years of propaganda but in this instance positive propaganda or just positive a, propaganda that right positive awesome. propaganda, yeah. Yeah. right or just a patent interrupt in how we're thinking right so we're on automatic we see a person we see an archetype we see a situation and we're quick and easy to jump to conclusions and what i wanted to see is if there was a way for us to infuse so many other options that you can't come to a conclusion. You have to, you could come to about a hundred different conclusions because you've seen so many variations of an individual or a situation or group. Mm-hmm. And so the first, my first thinking in terms of approaching that problem was you have to wrap your arms around the problem. You have to kind of quantify it. And so that's where the database came from. It was, we wanted to index every single stereotype across every single group, across every single culture in every single country which is already a gargantuan task, but um, Mm. unless we knew what we were dealing with, you wouldn't know how to identify it and then sort of combat it. So, yeah, and so. before before I come over back to you, Liz, about your personal journey to the Stereotype Project, uh, Gene, I, I want to just come back to this positive propaganda thing. And one of the things you said is that it's going to take hundreds of years. And clearly it's going to take hundreds of years because it's taken hundreds of years to build the stereotypes we got now. But, right. but I mean, seriously, though, we're already here. Like people are so entrenched in their biases. Why do you feel like going on this project, which you're literally saying can be centuries long to do in the f- for the later, why is yeah. it necessary? Why is it worth it? Why not just be like, all right, well, we got laws to target hate and, and that type of stuff. We can, Dr. King said, you can't uh, legislate morality, but you can regulate behavior. Just lock up the ignorant people, fire them. Why yeah. go on this potentially centrally, centuries long project? Jenny, it's a great question. Um, and I have a couple of answers. So when I, when I first called Liz and I was like, hey, I want to do a thing. And she didn't 
completely think I was crazy, maybe halfway. <laughs> um, I said, you know what? We might be laying tracks for a train that we don't get to take, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I was very upfront with that. And, and I felt as though it's sort of one of those things, that if you don't start now, you know, it's going to be a day later or a year later or a decade later or a century later when you do. So even though I may not benefit in my lifetime or Liz may not benefit in our lifetime, I would hope that, you know, should I be fortunate to have kids and grandkids and great grandchildren, that they have the benefit of that. Right. You kind of leave the world in a better place than you, you found it. Um, so that was the first thing. But even as we've been doing this, um, you know, Liz came back, we did some some research and you know, the amount of impact that social media and TikTok has had in 10, 15, a year, mm -hmm. um, it may not be true. If we're able to actually do this effectively and create the tools and make them widely available with very little friction or access to the information, and yeah. there are things like TikTok where you post something and 3 million people could see it within, you know, a couple of days, it might not be a couple of centuries, right? It might actually happen in our lifetime um, and quite quickly. And I think I'm really inspired by Generation Z. Um, they are truly fearless. They, they do not take no for an answer. They do not care about what was precedent and what may have gone before. And, and so um, a big part of what we're doing is going to be embracing sort of the youth and having um, a follow-on chapter because this is going to be their world, right? And so yeah, yeah. Um, those things, you know, as we've been going on this journey, we, we started this back in 2020. As I said, I wrote the white paper for this back in 2015, or I began in 2015. Mm -hmm. uh, having the opportunity to work with this generation and I'm sure Generation Alpha that are coming after who have a completely different set of rules, um, I, I don't think it might be trained at tracks yeah. that train that we don't get to take we may be able to be on that train and that that's super exciting and all the more inspiring and reason for us to start no most definitely and you're right social media has, has a way of of fast forwarding things so you know let's stay op optimistic for that so before we get down to some of the more nuts and bolts of the organization what it looks like what you're looking for as you lace to grow liz you know like please you know tell me about your journey to the stereotype project and feel free to chime in on anything else that i've asked before as well no, no, of course, of course. Um, so my journey begins also in 2020, you know, when we were kind of going through the lockdown and George Floyd was happening, a friend had gifted me a book called Minor Feelings written by Kathy Hong Park. Mm. And, you know, she was a poet, a Korean American poet, and it was a collection of her essays kind of addressing her experience as an immigrant in this country. And it may be surprising or not surprising to your audience that as an Asian American woman in this country, um, thinking about my race was never on the forefront of my mind. Mm. And reading this book kind of made me fundamentally question my role in our culture and our society as to the functionality of how I might've been part of proliferating and wow. accelerating the agenda of people in position and power wow, and yeah, people with yeah. money. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, potentially oppressing other groups that's aligned with the agenda and objective of the people in position of power. Mm -hmm. So it kind of hit me like a truck wow. and going through an existential crisis about if I was truly standing on the right side of the history. And that was around the time when Gian approached me and said, hey, like, I want you to come on board and, you know, help me launch this is mm -hmm. kind of how, you know, that happened. 
Mm-hmm. And I so. totally, yeah, and then I totally realized, like, being an Asian American woman living in this country, it's a privilege, right? Like, we mm. we also have privilege. If we're not living in discomfort like other races and other groups of people, that's privilege, you know? And yeah, right. I didn't, that's yeah, right. and I didn't think about that until 2022, shockingly, mm-hmm. you know? And it kind of, the timing was, I think, really, um, you know, really, really perfect because of everything happening around the world. And uh, the idea was well received by mm-hmm. every person that we engaged with. So that's kind of how all of this came about. Now, we're always about building our, our, our database here in terms of our authors and literature. So you said minor feelings, but could you spell out that author's name for the listeners as well? Sure. It's her. She spells her name Kathy with a C. Mm-hmm. Kathy Hong, H-O-N-G, Park, P-A-R-K. Okay. And um, she's actually, I believe she's also a literature pe- professor at Rutgers. So, okay, uh, awesome. she, so her intent, I don't believe her intent was to really be like, hey, Asian Americans, w- you know, wake up and this is who you are in this culture and society, even though mm-hmm. her subtitle is Reckoning. <laughs> it's Asian, Ameri- <laughs> Asian American Reckoning is her right. uh, subtitle, but it's an incredibly powerful, I think, point of view. And, you know, it force it should at least make every Asian person question um, who we are in our society mm-hmm. and culture. No, absolutely. And I can't wait to read that myself. I'm so glad that you recommended that. And so when, when we come to the stereotype project, Jan, where is it today? Where is it right now? What is the structure looking like? How are you, are you, are you out there meeting with folks? Are you out there bringing in volunteers? Are, are you hiring? Are we fundraising? What, what is it that, where are you at right now? And for our listeners who are interested, what is all, we'll get to the contact info later, where to find you, we'll get to that t- at, towards the end. What is your call to action now? Like, what are you looking for people to do as it relates to getting involved with that? Donate, 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 donate. All right, all right. Well, shoot, well, well where, where can they do that? We don't have to say that part to the end. Where can they do Some people <laughs> want to donate like right now as they listen mm-hmm. No, absolutely. So the stereotypeproject.org, top right corner, we have a big button, a big donate button. Um, every every penny will help in the work that we're doing. I kind of call it the um, the Bernie Sanders approach or twenty dollars. Everybody to give twenty dollars. Yep. yep. Um, yeah, but you're not going to turn down like two million or three million from like a Bill Gates all. or something. And I'm just going to make sure people know that. <laughs> <laughs> and and if, if you want to donate that much, give us a call. Don't do that uh, through the website. <laughs> <laughs> to do that. But um, yeah, no, right now we are 100% in fundraising mode. We're doing a number of things in parallel, which I'll get into. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, this is it's a global organization that we're trying to build. It is a tech forward organization. And so we're not thinking like a nonprofit or a traditional nonprofit. Uh, we're thinking more like a, a tech company. I come from a tech background. Liz, Liz and I actually met working in tech. And okay. so um, my approach to this and Liz and Liz's operational approach to this is very much um, efficiency, scale and optimization. And as a result, people are at the core of what what it is that we do. And neither Liz and I believe that you should have to take a huge pay cut in salary to do good work. I actually think it's the opposite, Mm -hmm. that people are properly paid and compensated, work much harder, um, particularly about causes and things that they care about. And so with um, human resource being more than 80% of our OPEX, and we wanting to have the best and brightest in the tech sphere when we're stealing candidates from the major tech companies, mm-hmm. um, money is what's going to make the difference there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, fundraising is the first and foremost thing that we're focused on. But in parallel, we're laying a lot of foundation 
building relationships um, and identifying candidates for a number of the roles that we are going to need to fill as soon as that money arrives. And so we have about an 18 year plan of exactly how we're going to scale and build the organization. 18, based on how the money comes. 18 months, sorry. Okay. 18, 18 years is a long time. <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, yeah, no, 18 month plan um, of what we, how we plan to, to sort of sources and uses of those funds. And um, yeah, but it, it starts with the people. It starts with the people and we really want to be global. So fundraising is key. So again, if you want to donate the stereotypeproject.org, um, we've got a big donate button on the website. And, and again, if you would like to partner with us in, in a major way, um, you can reach out to Liz or I and, and our contact information will be available. But in terms of um, the organization and where we are, so we are working with a very preeminent sort of uh, technical university mm -hmm. to build the infrastructure of the database. It is a very big, large, big data project. Um, that requires sort of semantic analysis, a lot of AI for us to build a structure that can not only scale, but also can be um, used via extensibility, by APIs to power numerous use cases that we have thought of today and things that we haven't thought of, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we're working with this fantastic university to build out that infrastructure. And then we've already started connecting with a number of um, academics, what we realize is if you tell a PhD that you've read their paper, they are very excited to talk to you. So, you know, doing that can work. Can't um, argue with that one. Yeah, I got a book coming out. Check it out. <laughs> right. So we've been connected with some incredible minds in the space um, and working with them to understand, you know, how to build the data model and how we can take their insights but make them really, really accessible. Um, on the fly through the many tools that we have. So that's something that we're looking to approach in a very prog programmatic um, way because we don't want to just work with a handful of universities. We want to work with all of the universities worldwide, right? Yeah. Um, I want to stress the Stereotype Project is designed to be a platform. We are not an organ advocacy organization. Mm. We want to empower the advocates. So I by see. building a tool... You know, I truly believe nobody can advocate for you better than you can advocate for yourself. And especially if you are empowered with information and contacts, because you it's a lived experience, right? And yeah. so with that, we don't want to do that work. In addition to which, I don't think we're going to be resourced to do that work. And there are already so many incredible people doing that work. So we just mm -hmm. want to support and help them as they do that. And so again, working with every and anybody, we worked with a number of um, DEI organizations in corporate America, uh, and we're starting to do some consulting there, uh, which is proving to be really, really uh, exciting in sort of pushing the boundaries of what we thought the foundation could do. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, organizations now, every, everybody has a DEI organization. We, we joke that corporate America re realized that there was racism in America in 2020. <laughs> uh, which, you know, yeah, for better words, they're, they're listening and they're active now. Mm -hmm. um, so we are engaging with them in earnest. And oftentimes when you have a DEI initiative, it becomes them and the rest of the organization, right? There's a yeah, bit of yeah. othering that goes on and people tune out. Mm -hmm. But what we realize is when you layer in stereotyping onto that conversation, 
then it kind of opens it up to everybody, right? Because it's sort of like, did you individual over here have these preconceived notions about that group? And did you, that group, have these preconceived notions about how you were being viewed by everybody else? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a yeah. really interesting space to have dialogue. Um, and so that's been really, really well received. And it's some consulting that we hope to scale um, because we can essentially do it for anybody and everywhere, right? If mm -hmm. you have a DNI initiative that's already focused, we can look at that, look at the research, and then come up with some solutions and execution plans as well mm -hmm. um, to tackle that in a, in a little bit more of an engaging and inclusive way. And so that's been exciting as well. And then uh, on the, the technology front, um, beyond just the database, right? So one of the things that we are looking to build long-term is almost like a spell check on steroids. So <laughs> if you can um, have some text and before you hit publish, print, tweet, or send, you have the ability to have it assessed, determine if there's any stereotype, stereotypical language or problematic language within that text by cross-referencing the database that we've built. And then rather than leave you high and dry, suggest alternative language while educating mm. you on why that language I like is like that, yes, yes. Um, and at the end of the day, like we're not trying to be the thought police or control anybody's freedom of speech, but we are trying to eliminate people's ability to say, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that mm -hmm. that's what that meant. I didn't know that that could have been um, offensive. And as Liz said, nobody has an encyclopedic knowledge of how to potentially offend everyone everywhere. Mm -hmm. So having a tool like this at your disposal, I think will allow people to really focus on their intention and not have to distill it from their impact. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with a tool like that, we've already begun working on the technology and the patents behind that so that we can start rolling that out. So there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of really great partners, a lot of people who are really excited about, to a person, we haven't met somebody who said, you all are crazy, don't do this. So that's been super encouraging, um, but it all starts with the money. We need a yeah. lot of money and uh, we've been actively fundraising. Yeah, and, and to Gian's point, like we welcome actually people to disagree with us. We don't believe that we could build what we could build, you know, in the most effective and the powerful way that it's intended without people who's going to challenge our thought process and challenge our kind of theories behind why we are doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that we include even those voices and those perspectives in our process because we don't want to be in an echo chamber. Yeah. We don't want to be yeah. in a situation where we're only listening and working with people who agree with us. Mm -hmm. So we also welcome conversations and engagements of people who are like, this is a terrible idea. I don't know. So why you guys would do it this way or why this mm -hmm. is important. We uh, welcome those conversations as well. Well, I think one of the things you, you said in our earlier conversations is that and going off of how Gian described it is like this is like a, a, a grammarly for, for stereotypes. And I think that, you know, that can be really powerful. And when you talked about wanting to engage in people that disagree with you, I think that that's really important because I, one of the reasons we see so many people getting into these disagreements about issues is because they have their own definitions. And one of the easiest examples I always give is like with sports, people always talk about who's the greatest athlete. They'll argue over it in their particular sports, but they'll never set the criteria. And, you know, once you set the criteria, the answer is obvious. Like you can't, if you say it's based on scoring, it's this guy. If it's based on championships, it's this guy, you know. And I think what your platform does, it really helps set that criteria for people, which is really powerful. So we can get to that, what I like to say, finding common ground. So, so, so Liz, one of the things I want to follow up on is, you know, Jan talked about 
the tech companies that you're working with and how, you know, there's high level people who uh, who can bring some of that brain power to it. And of course, people who want to donate in different ways. I wonder, and you also mentioned Generation Z and, and Alpha coming later and the like, is there a room for, for young people? As a professor, I'm always dealing with young people. Is there room for young people as it relates to potential volunteer or internship opportunities or other things they can do on their campuses if they want to help spread the word? What, what kind of roles are or might be available for, for young people in the future? Absolutely. I think you've pretty much named everything that we would want and need oh, and, awesome. you know, okay. in the long-term purposes. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also looking to build a junior advisory board as well wow. because wow. we want to make sure that the input of people who are going to carry this on, even when we're not here anymore, we're, like their voices and their perspectives are being heard. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to be blindsided by only thinking about what we believe is important at this point in time and our perspective only. We want to make sure that we're being holistic in our approach and in our thinking process as we're thinking much more long-term. So this is not a Band-Aid on the situation. Mm -hmm. We are not proposing something that's going to solve all of our social, racial issues globally in the next six months. We're saying, no, 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 let's collectively get together so that we can start at least tweaking and making positive impact in the way that's actually going to truly make changes mm -hmm. in the way we behave and way we communicate. Mm -hmm. But let's think about long-term something yeah. that we could actually pass on to next generation and the generation afterwards and for this to actually really change the way we see each other as people and as human beings and and just from an infrastructural perspective so there's a tool that we want to build called the stereotype buster app which by the time we talk again we'll have a better name than that <laughs> Gen Z will not use it. Uh, <laughs> the idea behind it is that it plugs into all of your social media accounts. And so wow. um, every day from the database, we will surface a myth-busting factoid. And that should capture your attention and then take you back to the database so you can read more. The database is going to be kind of like a Wikipedia on steroids, mm, where you mm -hmm. have the history, the origin, the originators, um, why it was started, when it was started, how it's been perpetuated over the course of history, the yeah. implications of that, right? And then examples in mass media. And so we want everybody to be using that app and sort of impacting their sphere of influence through social media. So getting it in the hands of as many young people as possible, as many people as possible is gonna be critically important. And then a number of the initiatives around advocacy um, and advocacy groups there are all of these campus initiatives that exist. And so mm -hmm. from a volunteer perspective, ambassadors, advocates, people who can get the word out as we build the organization and people coming to volunteer, um, particularly from a tech perspective, if you have technical talents um, or from a research perspective or a social science perspective, when, once we start descending on these campuses, mm -hmm. we're looking for as much help and resources as we can get. Money goes a long way. Brain power goes a long way as well. So um, as many young people as we can get involved, we'll be building programs that they can plug into um, and there won't be any limitations on participation. That is awesome. And, and are you all out there in, in the social media space now? People may want to connect with you in, in, on, those, on those platforms or is the best way the website right now? <laughs> 
The best way is the website. Our social media posts yeah. getting there. And, you know, the, at the core of the organization is Liz and I. Mm-hmm. And so we are doing a number of things and wearing many hats, even though we have an, a number of incredible partners who are working with us on multiple fronts. Um, and so our social media front is something that we know is going to be critically important to be done well. Mm-hmm. Um, because oftentimes people have very short attention spans and if you don't engage them in the right way um, at the first opportunity you can potentially lose them not necessarily forever but for a long time mm-hmm. uh, so we're waiting for the right time to really engage on on social media and, and find the right part for yeah and and like everything else that Jean and I'm doing we're not experts in this Mm-hmm. You know, Jian, you know, was brilliant enough to come up with this idea, but we're not experts in this. So mm-hmm. we need to surround ourselves with people who know what they're doing, including social media. So Jian and I don't <laughs> pretend one to be experts in social media and how we should tackle that. And nor do we are we I don't think we're any good at it, you know, mm-hmm. and so we, we are we're, we have no problem admitting things that we're not good at. But <laughs> I think we're we're wise enough to hopefully identify people who could help us get you know, get us there. So my, my last question for, for both of you, and I'll start with you, Liz, is as you start to put out this project, as you continue to put out this project, you're continually seeing everything that's going on in the world today. What some, what's some advice or just some thoughts or reflections that you would want us to take that really represent the essence of what the stereotype project is going to be, is about, is about, as relates to what's going on in society. I'll start with you, Liz, and then I'll, I'll take it to Jean. And then obviously anything else you want to share in terms of what you have going on, please feel to speak on that. Yeah, and it's actually really, you know, the timing is kind of really, you know, funny that you asked me this question now because uh, it's only been recent, I would say weeks where Jean and I fundamentally started to understand potential kind of uh, perspective that we haven't thought about. Uh, mm-hmm. Meaning our project is truly inclusive, including straight white men. Mm-hmm. You know, even mm-hmm. if you're a rich, powerful, straight white man who is, you know, may, let's say working, who's a finance person, yeah. they're a stereotype. If you yeah. are a policeman, you're a stereotype as a straight white man. Mm-hmm. And there has been a little bit of a, you know, voice that been kind of spoken towards us saying you can't include straight white men in your project mm-hmm. because they don't need help. Yeah. Uh, but we answer that question is in order for us to be truly inclusive, mm-hmm. it shouldn't matter your race. Yes. It shouldn't matter who you are as a person. We're saying mm-hmm. all of us are being misrepresented in some way and some degree, mm-hmm. and we want to write that, right? We want to make sure that we are addressing that thought process across everybody. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably the biggest challenge that, you know, biggest challenge, pers- challenged perspective that I think we are trying to navigate through yeah. at this yeah. point. And so, you know, as we are kind of pigeonholed into DI kind of space, this is actually a project for anybody and everybody, including straight white people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. No, I appreciate you sharing that. And, and you're absolutely right. So many times people look at stereotypes from people who may be directly suffering, maybe economically, mm-hmm. racially, from religious persecution. Uh, but you're right. I mean, if we're on this planet, people are looking to be included in every way, shape, or form. Yes. So to, to speak to that common humanity is really powerful. And to clarify, we will probably not focus on straight white <laughs> men as a top priority. That is not our intent. Our actual case study is going to be around women and, you know, around actually young girls and STEM as more narrow kind of st- uh, uh, case study that we're going to be building out. 
but you could imagine every race, right, belongs under the group of women, right? So all mm -hmm. the diversity groups that you could think of, all the LGBTQI groups that you could think of, all the different mm -hmm. kinds of mm -hmm. disability that you could mm -hmm. think of, religion, mm -hmm. profession, mm -hmm. we could actually bucket those kind of categories under women. So that was probably, uh, pro you know, that was probably the thought process that we had when we were thinking about why we would focus on women first yeah. and the scalability of this globally as well, right? Because women exist all around the world. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't just going to be an American centric project. This is something that we are going to actually launch and activate globally and focusing on women enables us to do that. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Gian, do you want to give us any any final thoughts as as we wrap up as it relates to some of these these final questions and and where we're going forward? Yeah, and I just wanted to to add on to what Liz was saying. You know, our, our starting with women is because we truly want to boil the ocean, but we're building a tech product, and so you have to start off with an initial use case to test and build and verify before you can expand. So yes, we're starting with women, but we're not only going to be doing sort of stereotypes around women, that is sort of our incubation to hopefully go out to the entire world and every group. Um, we were just, you know, uh, visiting a partner university and the Uber driver, uh, Lyft driver rather, was like, are you gonna do stereotypes around um, Lyft drivers? And we were like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Like, right, right. Yeah. And I was like, wait, like Uber, Lyft drivers relative to Uber drivers? And he was like, no, 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 no relative to taxi drivers they were like they're, wow. okay i was like i guess we are right and that that's to tell you the scope and scale that we're going with this um i think in, on top of that though i think the the main takeaway for me at this point in time at least is this idea and realization that we all are members of multiple groups right we are most visibly um, and immediately members of groups. And sometimes that isn't always immediately clear, but that is often just one dimension of who we are. Mm -hmm. And because we can be members of 10 scores, uh, multiple groups, nobody wants to be reduced to a gross generalization of any one of those groups, mm -hmm. including straight white men, as, as, as Liz alluded to. Mm -hmm. And I think when you can understand that from a personal perspective where, yeah, I'm, I'm a black man, but I'm also Trinidadian, you know, um, I'm also a sports lover. I'm also so many other things um, to reduce me to just one of those groups, I feel would be unfair because yeah. it takes away some of my, a lot of my multifacetedness mm -hmm. and the same way I don't want that. I wouldn't want to do that to anybody else. Yeah. I yeah. think if we can get everybody in that world, in the world, to that singular thought and that point of view, um, we stand a chance for people to take a moment before they jump to conclusion, uh, jump to conclusions and reduce anybody else or stereotype somebody or disenfranchise a whole group of people because of a preconceived notion. And I think that's where it starts, right? It's that awareness and that acknowledgement and then turning to a resource to broaden your perspective. Mm -hmm. And if we can, again, if we can get people to that point, then I think we can have a profound impact on the world.
Wow, um, you all have shared so much information and, and you've given us marching orders in terms of what we need to do from where we are individually and also what we can all do in our different spaces to help build out the organization. And so I really wanna thank you for coming on and talking about this today. And people can go once you, like you said, the stereotype, pro is it thestereotypeproject.org or just stereotypeproject.org? The Stereotype Project. The Stereotype. So please everybody go to thestereotypeproject.org and just see what you can do just to help build this organization that as Gian said, is gonna be around for, for centuries, but also working with, you know, together, maybe we can speed it up just a little bit, but it's not gonna happen unless we're all in this together. So Liz and Gian, I just wanna thank you very much. Thank you for joining the Upstanders podcast. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for, for having, having us. us. Absolutely. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.